Has it ever happened? No, it hasn't. Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives into the second coming. He's going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it in two. There's going to be living water, the Bible says, that will flow all the way to the Dead Sea. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the Revelation, and the majority of Revelation addresses the end times, what will happen when God finally decides to rapture His church, followed by a time of great distress known as the Tribulation, which is then followed by the return of Christ and His millennial reign, and ultimate creation of a new earth. Many of these details are outlined not only in the Revelation, but in various other books of the Bible. And today, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at a key passage that addresses what is commonly referred to as the Day of the Lord. Let's join Dr. Brogy as he begins a message entitled, The Great Day of God Almighty. Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 16. Most people can at least find the book of Revelation and the book of Genesis, the first and the last book in the Bible. But not all Americans can pronounce the name of this book. It's not the book of Revelations. There's no S on it. It's the book of Revelation because it's a single revelation that God gave through His Son to the Apostle John, and He wrote down for us His bondservants. It's a very relevant book to study at this time in human history. If we're not living in the time frame that is described in this book, we're living, I tell you, right on the threshold of it, because so many pieces of the puzzle that God reveals in this book are beginning to come together. I mean, think about it. For many who are sitting in this room, in your lifetime, you've witnessed the rebirth of the nation of Israel in their gathering back into the land. The first time since the time of Josephus, the first century historian, the first time that demographics were kept on the Jewish people was in 1890. And at that time, 3% of the 7.8 million Jews who were alive in 1890, 3% or about 25,000 were living in the land of Israel. Then during World War II, Hitler annihilated some 6 million of the Jews. But as God often does, he uses the wrath of man to praise him. And he used those events of the Second World War to gather the Jewish people back into the land. And in 1948, on May the 14th, Israel in a single day, as the prophet Isaiah wrote, was once again reestablished as a nation. At the time, there were just 600,000 Jewish people living in the land. Today, there are approximately 6.6 million Jewish people living. That's nearly half of all the Jewish people on the planet. You say, well, is the return of the Jewish people into the land of Israel significant? Yes, it is. It is something that God says will happen not just in the last days, but in latter times. The term latter times, latter days, refers to the very final chapter before the Messiah, Jesus, comes back to rule and reign upon the earth. Listen to what God said to the prophet Ezekiel. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you, the peoples, and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. In 70 AD, the Jewish people 
were begun to be scattered. And then in the second Jewish revolt in 135, the rest of the Jewish people were virtually all expelled out of Israel to all the nations of the world. And that land, in terms of Jewish people, was virtually vacant. But God said at the end of time, he would take them from all the countries. Listen to Ezekiel 36. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah wrote after the Babylonian return in 480 B.C. in the 10th chapter of his prophecy. God said, I will whistle for them to gather them together. For I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they were before. When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries, and they with their children will live and come back. Again, Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, describing the time before the second coming of the Messiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. North, former Soviet Union, south, east, west, from all across the world, God promises to bring the Jewish people back into the land. And if that were not enough, he even names in Isaiah 11 some of the specific countries that they will come from. Think about this for a moment. In 1948, as this chart shows, in Egypt, there were approximately 66,000 Jews. Today, in that country, there are less than 200. That's one of the countries named in Isaiah's prophecy. Iraq, which in his prophecy is Assyria and Babylon. There was 150,000 Jews. Today, there's less than 10. In Syria, called Hamath, in 1948, there were 15,000 Jews. Today, there's less than 100. In Iran, what Isaiah calls Elam, there was 95,000 Jews. Today, there's 9,826. In Yemen, there was 48,000. Today, there's less than 50. In Lebanon, 20,000. Today, less than 100. Algeria, 140,000. Today, less than 100. Morocco, 265,000. Today, less than 2,000. Tunisia, 105,000. Today, under 1,000. Libya, 38,000, today none. Ethiopia, 50,000, today under 8,000. Even Ethiopia was a miracle. All the Ethiopian Jews came through Solomon. They looked totally African-American, but they're totally Jewish. Through Operation Moses in 1984, 8,000 were brought out. Through Operation Joshua in 1985, 1,000 were brought out. And then in Operation Solomon, 14,325 were airlifted. It was an incredible maneuver that the Israeli people did undercover. There's about 8,000 left, and they all want to leave that place and come back to Israel. So think about it. God has been gathering his people. They won't all be gathered, but there'll be enough to call them a nation to be strong and for the final prophecies to be fulfilled. And then at the end of the tribulation, the final amount of believing Jews will also be brought back into the land. Think about some of you who are alive here today. You've seen the resurgence of Russia as a world power. They are one of the key nations that are spoken of in the prophets that are going to hate and attack Israel. 
We've seen the birth of Islam. We've seen the rise of a sodomite society. These are all things that God wrote and predicted and prophesied would happen in the final days before Jesus comes back. Now, if you were here last time, by the way, we've been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the Revelation. And last week, we finished Revelation 15. Today, we're in 16. And I'm going to give some theological backdrop before we begin to exegete the 16th chapter and what follows in the rest of the book. But notice here in chapter 16 and verse uh, 13, and I saw it coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Underscore those final words, the great day of God, the Almighty. It's one of the many titles given for the time frame in the Bible known as the day of the Lord. And so as we attempt to garner a clear picture of what the great day of God the Almighty, the day of the Lord is all about, I'm going to push the pause button today in our exegesis of the 16th chapter. And God willing, I'm going to lay a biblical foundation for the day of the Lord because it will, I think, make 16 through 22 of the Revelation come alive for you. Now, the Bible teaches that Christ is crucified, risen, and ascended to heaven, but that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. But it is also very clear that before he comes again, it will be preceded by a time of darkness. Then he will literally, physically come to the earth, and there'll be a time of great blessing that will last for over a thousand years. We'll study that in the 19th and 20th chapters. And then as we will see at the end of chapter 20, at the end of the thousand years, it will get dark again. And then God will create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But of course, before that event takes place, another event is going to happen that will usher in the day of the Lord, and we've been studying that. It's called the rapture. Now, if you're new to the Bible and maybe just a casual reader of Scripture, you cannot help but see that all through the pages, especially of the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, there are predictions that God's Son is going to come back to earth again. In fact, we are not surprised by that but because when we come to the 19th chapter of the Revelation, it says the Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of testimony. And so we are going to see that, or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we're going to see that prophecy is something that God has interwined all the way through the scripture. He did it for the first coming of the Messiah, and he will do it for his son's return from heaven. In fact, the Bible ends with Jesus saying, yes, I am coming quickly. And then John will say, amen, I believe it, even so come Lord Jesus. But before that happens, there's a whole lot that is going to happen. So we're going to use this morning 1 Thessalonians 5 as the central text. If you have your Bible, flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5. In the English Bible, all the books with the letter T are found together. They're all in the New Testament. They go from long to short. Thessalonians, two books, is longer than the word Timothy, first and second, which is longer than the word Titus. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's what we would call a central passage. Sometimes you will hear 
pastors and theologians say, well, this is a central passage on this subject. What they mean by that is that this is one of the building block passages that speak about a particular subject. So we would say, for instance, that um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is a central passage on the subject of spiritual gifts. Well, this is one of many central passages in the Bible on the subject of the great day of the coming God, the Almighty, the coming day of the Lord. And then we'll break out into some other passages because it's found all the way through Scripture. I want to begin by reading 1 Thessalonians 5, starting now in verse 1. Follow along in your Bibles. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation." through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Let me set the context for these verses. I suppose there are two distinct issues that people are often fascinated and sometimes perplexed by. One is what happens after you die. And then secondly, How will the end of the world come? What does the Bible say on these two subjects? Well, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, actually addresses both. In chapter 4 of this letter, he deals with the subject of death. And then in chapter 5, he deals, in essence, with the end of the world. Now, if you know chapter 4, then you know that the church at Thessalonica was somewhat ignorant concerning the order of events concerning Christ's return. They had come to believe that the rapture was only for those who were alive. And so one of their questions concerned when would those believers who have already died, when would they be raised up? And would they even have a chance to participate in the coming kingdom of the Messiah? They knew that they could be caught up at any time. They had that much straight, but they didn't really know about those who had already died and when they would be raised. And so let me begin by giving you kind of a biblical schematic and calendar of events. As you know, the next great event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. The word rapture is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, we shall all be caught up. God is going to take his people off the earth, up into heaven. There'll be a short period of time before the 70th week of Daniel begins. Could be days, hours, weeks, we're not told precisely, but there'll be a one world ruler who will come on the scene. We've been studying him. He's called the Antichrist. He's called the beast. Over 30 titles are given for this one world leader in the Bible. And a seven-year period called the tribulation will kick off. That will culminate with Jesus physically, literally, actually coming back to the earth. And when he does, the Bible teaches he will rule and reign on the earth for 
1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan has been caged up the whole time. He'll be loosed, and there'll be one final rebellion, which Jesus will put down. This current planet and universe in which we sit in will be totally destroyed. God will make a brand new heaven, a brand new earth, and the new Jerusalem will literally come down and become the capital city of the place in which we are going to spend all of eternity. Now, sometimes you will hear people say, well, the first thing on your chart, Pastor, the rapture, that's not even in the Bible. Where do you get the rapture from? And because they cannot find the word rapture in the Bible, they assume it's not a biblical doctrine. And so those people are what we call amillennialists. Let me give you a chart. They don't believe that Jesus comes back before he rules and reigns for a thousand years, but they say there's no millennium. They say right now God is building his church. In fact, they say the church existed in the Old Testament, that the church has always existed. Uh, It was more Jewish in the Old Testament, but now it's a mixed group of people. Uh, We're under tribulations and hardship, but there's no literal tribulation. Jesus is reigning spiritually from heaven, and the next event that is coming is called the second coming. And at that point, it will all be over. We'll go to heaven, and that's it. And all of the prophecies that speak specifically about God's relationship and promises to the nation of Israel, of God creating a a new heaven and a new earth and a capital city coming down, a literal one world government and antichrist, they just write all that off. It's very simple, the chart but it's simplistic and it's just wrong. But they begin with the premise that the term rapture is not a biblical doctrine. And it is also driven by the fact that they think that God's done with the Jewish people. But God is not done with the Jewish people. Replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel, is false theology. It is wrong. Now, some of our brethren hold it, and they're brothers in Christ. They're not heretics, and that it's a damnable belief that will carry you to hell. But it is still an erroneous belief. It is a belief that is not sinking with Scripture. It is true that the word rapture is not found in the English Bible, but it is found in the Latin Bible. And the Latin edition of the Bible was the principal translation the Western church used from 400 AD to 1530 AD. For over a thousand years, the translation that the Western church used was Latin. That's all they had. We have a multiplicity of translations today. For instance, there's about 20 major English translations, but there's over 250 English translations that are available to us. In some countries of the world, they're glad just to have a single translation of the Bible. But there was a time when God's people just had principally the Latin Bible, and a lot of terms come out of Latin, like the word Trinity. Now, that's not a word you'll find in the Bible, but if you deny the doctrine of the Trinity, you are a heretic because the Bible teaches that God is one who exists in three co-eternal, co-equal persons. The five solas of the Reformation, they come right out of Latin, so many Latin terms. Now, if you don't like the word rapture, then just use the word that's used in the English Bible, caught up. We believe in the catching up of the church, the harpazo, that in a moment's 
time, God is going to take his people away. But what I want you to see, and this is what the church at Thessalonica hadn't put totally together, and you'll see why in a moment, that the second coming and the rapture are two distinct events. Here's a chart that will help us. I scribble these things out. I give them to Steve, and he makes it look all beautiful. Now, at the rapture of the church, Christ comes in the air. Whereas at the second coming, he comes to the earth. In 1 Thessalonians 4, across the page, it says, we will meet the Lord in the air. Whereas at the second coming, he comes to the earth. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah said. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Now, is that just a lot of gibberish or is it true? Has it ever happened? No, it hasn't. Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives into the second coming. He's going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it in two. There's going to be living water, the Bible says, that will flow all the way to the Dead Sea. And the dead sea in which nothing lives, people will fish at. God's not just blowing a lot of words out of his mouth. Those are literal, actual prophecies that are going to take place. So in the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. The second coming, he comes to the earth. This chart also shows a second difference in terms of who comes to gather each group of persons. Christ comes for his people at the rapture, whereas at the second coming, angels come to take away the lost. The rapture, it says, the Lord himself, verse 16 across the page of chapter 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's coming for us. But at the second coming, God is going to send his angels to get the lost. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. So this chart indicates there's one major difference. There's a third difference, and it concerns where each group of persons are taken. When God comes at the rapture for his people, we're carried up into heaven. But the lost are removed from the earth into a place the Bible calls Hades. The fact that he will meet us in the air, there's an implication that we're going to heaven, but he specifically stated so in the upper room discourse. In John 14, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. However, the second coming, he is not coming to take believers to heaven. He is coming to take unbelievers and to remove them off the earth to set them in that place called Hades. Again, in Matthew 13, the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, Jesus stated the same truth in the same sermon in Matthew 24, 37. He said, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, 
one will be left. Has nothing to do with the rapture. Hal Lindsey made that up. He was just off. He went to the same seminary I had and went, I went to. And when he, when I was there, so many of the professors were so upset that he ever came up with that invented truth. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. Just like in Noah's day, the people who were carried away by the great flood and judgment was an unbelieving world, and the believers, knowing his family were left, at the return of Jesus, all unbelievers will be removed from the earth, and the believers will be left. In the parallel passage in Luke 17, Jesus said, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. In answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Now, we live in an area in South Carolina where we have turkey buzzards. We have vultures. They're very visible. And when we see them, we know that there is something dead that is going on. Jesus' point is, much as a dead body causes the vultures to gather, so spiritually dead people are consigned to judgment because they are not fit to the kingdom. We're going to study that when we come to Revelation 19, so I'll save it for them. But even so, when Christ returns, the righteous will be left behind. Those tribulation saints who come to faith and survive physically the tribulation, they will be left on the earth, and they'll enter the millennial reign of the Messiah. Just like Noah and his family were left in a brand new refurbished world, even so, God's people who are alive at the second coming, they will enter into a refurbished world where there'll be even a certain amount of harmony in the creation. So the rapture, believers are taken away, and unbelievers are left on the earth. But at the second coming, unbelievers are taken away, and believers are left on the earth. People do not want to be left behind for the rapture, but people who are alive during the tribulation period, they want to be left behind because that means they are believers. Now, this chart also gives us another distinct difference between these two events. At the rapture of the church, Jesus comes before the hour of trial, before the great tribulation. Whereas at the second coming, he comes after the hour of trial. We studied already in Revelation 3.10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Has there ever been an hour of testing that has come upon the whole world? Never, ever, ever, ever. But it's going to happen because Jesus said, and he is going to take out those believers. Listen to Matthew chapter 25 and what Jesus says happens at the end of the tribulation. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Tomorrow, we'll look at another distinction between the rapture and the second coming as we continue our message entitled, The Great Day of God Almighty. To listen to this study in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877 877- 
787-7478 and requesting program REV42. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you can help or would like more information, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, the continuation of the great day of God Almighty. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.